now listening to the Pat's Pulpit Podcast. All right. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Pat's Pulpit Podcast. I am Alex Shane, broadcasting to you all live from my hospital bed as I recover from yet another Patriots-induced heart attack in the <laughs> AFC Championship game. And based on that giggling, I guess I'm here with my buddy Rich Hill. I guess you're alive. You made it through? You okay? Oh, oh man. My, my beating heart is not slowed down yet. Uh, Alec, I have a confession to make, and I hope that no one blames me for it, but... We've we've been through this before. We've seen Tom Brady mount epic comeback after epic comeback, and we know the everlasting words of don't count out, touchdown, Tom. But I have to tell you, when the Patriots were down in the fourth quarter, down 10 points, and Marcel Darius got that eight-yard sack on Brady, I thought it was over. I thought that the Patriots were done. Alec. Do do I lose a lot of respect for giving up on the Patriots at that point? Well, I mean, again, yes. I'm sorry, Rich, you do. <laughs> I, I'm going to try and spin it because you're a buddy of mine. I've been doing this 100-plus episodes. But, I mean, I think it's fair to count the Patriots out when you're down 28-3 to with you know, 15, 16 minutes left in the game. But if they're down 10 in the fourth quarter, that's kind of what they do. It's kind of like their recipe for the playoffs is surrender a double-digit lead into the fourth quarter and then just turn on the Patriots' magic and, and go back and win it. I don't know if I was just in denial. I don't know if I was just too complacent or just in shock. I, just, I don't know. At no point was I ever like, man, the Patriots are going to lose this game. It was as stressful and tense as ever. It was another nail-biter, another instant classic. But there's, there's something about this game where I just – Maybe like the, the the Falcons game last year has immunized me to ever counting them out completely, much like that annual game or two a year where they just completely stink. But that's okay, buddy. I'll forgive you because unless something happened in the past 20 minutes or so, the Patriots beat the Jaguars and are going to the Super Bowl for the second consecutive year. Oh, and it was a great, great game. It was a great game. I do have to say in my defense, you follow up that eight-yard sack with just a complete nothing deep throw to Chris Hogan into double coverage. It looked like a desperation pass that only rears its ugly head when the Patriots have nothing else working in their offensive personnel. And you know what? You find Danny Amendola, you keep chipping, you do the flea flicker, you keep chicken, and then Amendola just Amendola's it. He's just the most clutch Patriots receiver this side of Julian Edelman. It's been incredible to watch the Patriots just mount comeback after comeback after comeback. But let's break down this game, Alec. Let's get into the nitty-gritty. Let's the, do it. the Patriots in the first half against the Jaguars did not look great. Jacksonville looked like they could do whatever the heck they wanted when they were on offense. They led back-to-back 75-plus-yard drives against the Patriots, both resulting in touchdowns. They were doing end-arounds. They were getting their players like Corey Grant to the edge. Patriots could not tackle Leonard Fournette until he had picked up a nice chunk of yards. Blake Bortles, I believe he completed 13 of 15 passes in the first half, something ridiculous like that. New England could not stop them. What was going on with the Patriots' defense? Why couldn't they do anything correctly? And we'll talk about the Patriots' offense in a little bit, but is there any concern that, you know, the Philadelphia Eagles with head coach Doug Peterson will be able to replicate what the Jaguars were able to accomplish? 
It's a really good question, you know, because I feel like nothing that the Jacksonville Jaguars did early on in this game was anything that you and I didn't see coming. We talked about it in our pregame show. You got to control the ball with the run, run a lot of play action, a lot of misdirections and smoke and mirrors plays, and make sure you allow Blake Bortles both manageable second downs and high percentage throws that are required to be super accurate. And that's exactly what they did. They ran it. They ran it again. They did a play action, a bootleg, run it again. Shallow cross over the middle. It was a very vanilla offensive scheme, but the Patriots could not do a single thing about it. And the Jaguars were up 14 to three before they even converted their first third down of the night. And you think about something like that happening, and you're just like, "Oh boy, here we go." And you had that defense that just kind of quote unquote custom built to beat the Patriots. And I'm just starting to wonder if just one. This is just one of those teams that, like, when it comes to the postseason. They just play better when their back's against the wall. And whether they know it or not, they just allow themselves to get into these holes and, and then tighten up when they have to because, on paper, nothing about the Jacksonville Jaguar offense should have surprised or confounded the Patriots' defense. But you know what it did, and you've got to give credit where credit is due. I, I think it was Patriots safety Jerron Harmon who was saying after the game that New England didn't really feel a need to make too many changes at halftime. They just realized that they weren't executing things well. They weren't tackling. They weren't setting the edge. They weren't doing their game plan that they had set. And fortunately for them, the Jaguars stopped using those gadget plays in the second half. They started to play even more vanilla in the second half than they were in the first because they had that lead and they were just trying to hold on to it as long as they could in one of the most poor head coaching decisions this side of Super Bowl 51. And as the Jaguars were out thinking themselves in the second half, the Patriots defense settled down. They started to play better in coverage. They were forcing Blake Bortles to finally throw incomplete passes uh, because Bortles in the first half, I don't think he threw too many deep passes at all. Everything seemed to be a designed sort of, you know, fullbacks leaked out of the backfield. Why didn't you cover Tommy Bohannon or, you know, Corey Grant's doing the end around. He has 59 yards in the first half. And he was getting those easy chunk plays. You know, he's only throwing it two, three yards down the field, but they were getting a lot of yards after the catch. And then they just stopped doing that. And when they were not getting those big chunk plays, they didn't have anything left on offense. The Patriots were able to stop Leonard Fournette on his run plays. He was getting one yard, negative one yard, two yards, zero yards. That would seem to be his entire second half. And the Patriots were able to do enough on defense to force punts, get the ball back to Tom Brady. And by the fourth quarter, he had figured out what the Jaguars were doing. Or, you know what, the Jaguars changed their own defense to something that was easier for Brady to pick apart, and that was enough for, for the Patriots to claw back and win it. Yeah, it's funny. You see this over and over again with teams that play the Patriots, and they get a lead, and for some reason, they stop doing what's been working for them. I don't know what the logic is behind that. I don't know why you change your philosophy. You switch out the defense. You go softer zone. But you're right. I mean, I think if the Jacksonville Jaguars had stuck to the exact same game plan they opened the game with in the first half, they probably win this game and go to the Super Bowl. Uh, you can talk about the handful of plays. You should talk about the handful of plays that kind of shifted the momentum of the game. But I think overall, the Patriots adjusted. The Jaguars didn't. And something you and I talked about in the pregame show was how is Bortles the kind of guy that can just consistently drive down the field over and over again without making mistakes? The answer was yes, but unfortunately, I think the Jags ran out of plays. They kind of emptied their playbook, and by the time they had to kind of go back to square one, the Patriots were ready for it, and there's no better team in the league than adjusting, making mistakes, and, and fixing them right away. And because of that, you, oh, you never, 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 Rich, you should learn this now, never count out Tom Brady and the chips are down. <laughs> or, or, freaking Danny, Danny Amendola, Rich, what, what's, what, what is it with this guy in the playoffs? 
Dude, he was just reliable as it comes. I think he had like five first down catches. He had two touchdowns, that huge 21-yarder on third and 18. Amendola just rises up. He, I believe that they call him Playoff now. That's his new nickname, which I find just completely uninspiring but perfectly <laughs> applicable. I mean, he, he really does step up in the postseason. I think he has more postseason yards or more yards receiving so far in these past two games than he had like all of last year or all of 2014 or something like that, 2015. He, he's really being a big part of this, and he wasn't there doing this during the regular season. I mean, he did it at times, but he has been the go-to receiver for the Patriots, leading them with nine targets, and you don't have Julian Edelman all year. Rob Gronkowski leaves with a concussion. The Patriots aren't running the ball well. Deion Lewis was not able to generate anything else. Uh, no one, Chris Hogan has been a non-factor in the postseason. He really, I think he only has like 24 yards all in both games combined. And you look at the other side, the Jaguars are able to attack the edge. They're getting whatever they want. Blake Bortles is extremely accurate. He's moving the chains. He's making the right decisions and not making any mistakes. Every single thing seemed to be tipped in the Jaguars' favor on the scale of looking at the keys to the game. Everything that we expected that would have happened, uh, you just throw it right out the window, right? Exactly <laughs> what you said. I thought that the Patriots were going to run the ball. I thought that Rob Gronkowski was going to be a huge part of their game. I absolutely did not expect Brandon Cooks to do anything whatsoever. I thought he would be a sacrificial lamb for the Patriots offense as they just gave him to, to A.J. Bouye or Jalen Ramsey on the outside. But instead, he racks up 100 yards. Alec, I, I just... This Patriots team finds a way to win. I don't get it. It doesn't make any sense against what the strengths and the weaknesses of this Jaguars team was on Sunday. And yet the Patriots found a way to do it in the fourth quarter. I, I, I just, what does it take to finish this Patriots team off? I, I mean, I think it, it's very easy. I get it. It's very easy on paper. It's 60 minutes. You have to play until there's literally no time on the clock, till the whistle has blown and everybody's on the field because the game is over. If you don't do that, then they'll probably find a way to come back and beat you. That's what the Giants did in the postseason. That's what the Ravens did in the postseason. That's what the Broncos did. Every team that's beaten the Patriots in the postseason has played their game plan from start to finish. They didn't change anything once they took a lead. They didn't think about getting too smart. They didn't beat themselves. They didn't now Belichick themselves. I just think that that's what the good teams do. But not every team is capable of doing that. And the Patriots are so, so patient. They're so versatile. And they're able to kind of wait for you to blink. And they never blink first. They always blink second. And even Gronkowski out, we should talk about that. Gronkowski going out with a concussion. And Tom Brady, as flustered as he was, as inaccurate as he was, whether it was the hand or the foot he heard, whatever the case may be, the inability to get the running game going, the screen game completely blown up every time they tried one. I didn't know what they had in their arsenal to kind of combat a lack of Gronkowski, no running game and no screen game. But they figured it out, and here we sit ourselves this wonderful Tuesday morning getting ready to play the Eagles in a couple weeks. Yeah, and hopefully Rob Gronkowski will be healthy and ready to go on Super Bowl Sunday against the Philadelphia Eagles. He has his concussion. Hopefully within two weeks that will be plenty of time for him to get through the concussion protocol, and he will be ready to go. Yeah, I mean, when you look at all of the pieces of this Patriots offense – they don't have Edelman. That was a huge loss. They lost Martellus Bennett after just a couple weeks. That was a bigger loss. I mean, they didn't really expect too much. He was kind of a cherry on top sort of acquisition, but he would have been a nice little boost. 
but they just have so many different pieces that can step up if other people aren't doing their job at that point or they're just not finding a way to win. Maybe they're having an off day. Maybe they're playing a great other team. Deion Lewis, 66 yards. 18 of it came on that very last play. It was a very, very quiet day for him. Rex Burkhead, five yards, did nothing in his first game back from injury. James White, 26 yards. I mean, that's like not that great for what you would expect out of the Patriots against this style of defense where they were going to utilize their running backs a lot. You don't have Gronkowski, but Amendola and Cooks both stepped up. There was no Chris Hogan. But, that, I mean, you just rattle off a list. I mean, the Patriots are six, seven players deep where any single player can rack up 80 yards on a given day. They can get 100 yards from scrimmage. And that just that depth is just so crucial because no other team can really boast that. You look at the other side, and we can talk about how the Patriots' defense really stepped up in the second half. But Leonard Fournette is a player that can get over 100 yards, no problem whatsoever. Who else do they have? Right? Alan Hearns has been inconsistent all year. Corey Grant is a gadget player. T.D. Yeldon is a backup. Marquise Lee has not really accomplished what they had hoped when they drafted him. So you had Fournette, and if he were not taking over the game, they don't really have anyone else that can step up. And so the Patriots were able to stop him in quarters three and four, and the Patriots were able to mount their comeback. The Jaguars, they could eliminate, you know, it's like the whack-a-mole. They whacked out, like, three of the moles, and then there's still two more to go. <laughs> they, they can't do anything to stop them. I mean, it's, it's just, it's a great sign for what the Patriots should be able to accomplish against the Eagles in the Super Bowl. Let me ask a ridiculous question, Rich, because that's kind of my role on Pat's Paul, but to ask the ridiculous questions that require ridiculous answers. Is there any way that in some weird backwards way, that the Rob Gronkowski injury slash concussion ended up helping this team in the long run because not only was he completely ineffective at the time he was on the field, one thing Brady has done when he gets rattled, and you can definitely see early in the game a couple of times, he was not in danger of getting sacked, but he kind of ducked and, and looked for somebody, realized there wasn't anyone, and tried to continue the play. He tends to zero in on guys, and Gronk's one of the guys he zeroes in on. And so in any way, not only did maybe it prevent Gronkowski from getting hurt, so he should be fresh in the Super Bowl, do you think the lack of Gronk forced the Patriots to get really creative and expand their, their depth chart and go to even guys like Philip Dorsett on a sea flicker? Or am I just being an idiot here? Well, I mean, it is important to say that Gronkowski did get hurt, uh, but it's not like yes. a season ender, fingers crossed on that one. Uh, but yeah, totally. I mean, you see how Brady panics a lot of times when the pressure's in his face or he's seeing ghosts. And it's either, you know, Troy Brown. Dion Branch, Randy Moss, Wes Welker, Julian Edelman, or Rob Gronkowski. Those are the players that he will always zero in on if he's feeling any sort of unease, and he will force passes to them. Sometimes it works. Sometimes, you know, I, I think back to the 2015 AFC Championship game against the Broncos where they did lose, but that fourth quarter was just Brady to Gronk. There was nothing that the Broncos could do about it, and Gronk was just marching down the field. Brady was throwing to, you know, 10 people in coverage, and he was still connecting with Gronkowski. So sometimes you get those superhuman performances, but most often it's just Brady rattled, sees ghosts, throws it into a bunch of traffic, ball hits the ground, Patriots punt on three and out. So without having Gronkowski out there, I mean, he did rely a lot on Danny Amendola. That's definitely something that did happen. But I thought 
that this was a great game for Brandon Cooks to step up and show that he can help carry this Patriots offense. He did. He's done it multiple times throughout the years. I actually wrote something or throughout the year, throughout the season. I wrote something on Pat's pulpit that he's actually on pace for the fifth most productive season for a Patriots receiver under Bill Belichick. And I think this is one of the quieter most successful seasons. It's actually up there with like the, the 2011 Gronkowski, 2011 Wes Welker, 2012 Wes Welker seasons for the amount of production that he's been able to provide New England when you look at receiving yards, rushing yards, touchdowns, and yards drawn from defensive pass interference. He has over 270 yards drawn from pass interference. That's like that in and of itself is a quality fifth receiver. And so Cooks has been doing so much, even if it doesn't show up as a specific receiving yard, because he is moving the chains. He is getting the Patriots in scoring position because the other team has nothing to do but just hold on to him because if they don't, he's getting a touchdown. Let's talk about Cooks for a second. I think there are some people out there that are maybe a little disappointed in the season Cooks has had. I think people that are feeling that thought he'd be Randy Moss 2.0. He was never really meant to be the number one receiver in this offense. That was Edelman and Gronkowski back in the earlier part of the year when Edelman was still healthy. He was meant to be a deep threat, a whole different level to the offensive attack, and you're absolutely right. I think he's been an absolute godsend for this team and what he's been able to do and how he's been able to fit in, especially late when he's been called upon. He really well for the rest of his career here. And you mentioned pass interference. Uh, he drew a couple of big ones in this game, one of which set up a touch, actually both of which set up touchdowns. There's a lot of grumbling from the Jaguars, from other people who hate the Patriots, from the media, whatever it is, that the Patriots didn't get any penalties on them. They had one for 10 yards. Jags had six for 98, including those two pass interference calls. I think the rest were in the Patriots' pocket, blah, blah, blah. I think one of the DPIs was absolutely blatant. He was grabbing the, the jersey. Really hard to argue that one. But the first one, he's going out of bounds. It's jostling, some hand fighting. People say that was really egregious, never should have called that. What's your stance on that one, Rich? How do you feel about the DPI calls? Well, I think it's... And the efficient as a whole. Yeah, I mean, I think it's important to note that uh, the NFL loves the Patriots. They want nothing to happen to them in the negative way. They would never dock them draft picks or suspend their starting quarterback. They're definitely in the bag for New England. Whatever the, the league office does, it's all for the favor of the Patriots. You know, they, they started that narrative of Deflategate. They started that narrative that Tom Brady is a cheater because they knew that ultimately it would pay off. They, they knew it. You know, they weren't trying to harm the <laughs> Patriots. They, they knew that it was for the best. Uh, yeah, I mean, come on. That, that's What happens with home field advantage is that, yes, you are going to get some beneficial calls. That is what happens when you have home field advantage. They earned that. You know, it's maybe it's not perfect with the idea of fairness, but any team that was playing at home would get certain beneficial calls. And you look at this Jaguars defense, they, I mean, they play the exact same style as that 2013 Seahawks defense, and they had one strategy penalize on every single play. That was their strategy because they realized that the referees, the officials, are not going to flag every single play. And there were multiple times where the Patriots receivers were getting hit, their arms were getting held or blocked or pinned before the ball was at their, at their hands or where they were supposed to be, and they didn't get flagged. And so they let them play on a lot of things that probably could have been penalized if they really were in the bag for New England, but 
yeah, you're going to get flagged a few times if that's how you're going to play. And so the Patriots said, we're not even going to bother doing that. We're not going to play stupid football. We're not going to get any pre-snap penalties. You look at the Jaguars with their delay of games and illegal shifts. That's not what the Patriots are going to do. And they're not going to get flagged for defensive pass interference because in the second half, Bortles was not completing the passes anyway. So there's no need to be that aggressive in the secondary. So... Yeah, I mean, maybe some of them weren't perfect, but they definitely did not call a lot of penalties that should have been thrown. And so, whatever. I mean, the the penalties were not the reason why the Patriots won that game. The Jaguars, that has been their style all season, is playing aggressive, playing to get penalties, playing to challenge the officials to penalize everything they could. And it came back to bite them against New England, and that's just how it plays out. You know what else came back to bite people? The Steelers for getting rid of James Harrison and the Bills for letting Stephon Gilmore go. Nice. Because those two guys came up huge. Uh, James Harrison probably more than Stephon Gilmore. He had that, obviously, that fourth down breakup, which was if he does nothing else the rest of his career in New England, I'm okay with it. Um, But James Harrison coming in off the edge, setting the edge, blowing the plays up in the backfield, having a strip sack to force a third and 19, I believe, that more or less sealed any chances of a Jaguars comeback. What a godsend he's been, Rich. I can't imagine where this team would be right now without James Harrison. And honestly, I believe that, and I never thought I'd say those words. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, seriously, New England was not able to generate any pressure whatsoever for most of the year, right? I mean, they were very inconsistent. They had Trey Flowers. And sure, Dietrich Wise had a few good games every now and then. Eric Lee had his two days in the sun. And Adam Butler, every now and then, would make a play where you're like, oh, yeah, I forgot he was on the team, you know. But it was mostly Flowers and then no one else, really. Whatever happened in the postseason, Matt Patricia has been calling an A-plus game for the defenders. Trey Flowers, four quarterback hits. You add in James Harrison with his quarterback hit. Adam Butler had one of his own. I mean, The Patriots were getting pressure that they just weren't able to do in the regular season. Maybe these teams, that was their strategy all along, was to catch them off guard. But New England has been stepping up on the edge, and James Harrison was a huge part of that. I don't know if he's giving them tips in the locker room. He's really showing them what it takes to commit as a professional, I guess, because he's been around for so dang long, and he always dominates in the postseason. But Flowers has elevated his game. Kyle Van Noy is back, and that is incredibly important for the New England defensive front seven. Uh, Adam Harrison and Wise and Butler, and even, you know, Geno Grissom. I'm going to give him some daps because I don't know if he did too much against the Jaguars, but he had a great game against the Titans. And you just get a depth of people that can get after the quarterback that we just didn't know was on the team, and that's perfect for catching other opponents off guard. It is. And again, I think we talk about it all the time. It's the versatility and it's the ability to beat you so many different ways. And if one thing isn't working, they will scrap that and go back to the drawing board and, and go back in there. I tell you, I'm really, really going to miss Josh McDaniels. It's actually ironically amazing how many parallels there are this season. I don't get too deep into it because I don't want to jinx anything. But these past couple of seasons from 2014, 2017, are almost identical in a lot of ways to the 2001-2004 Patriots. You know, the 0-1 team playing the NFC West winner in the Rams, 14 team playing the NFC West winner in the Seahawks, 0-3 team playing the NFC South in the Falcons, in the Panthers, excuse me, 2016 had the Falcons, NFC South, 2017 Eagles, 2004 Eagles, losing coordinators on, on both ends, 
it just makes you wonder if there's just something in the air, that it factor we've all been talking about all season, do the Patriots have it, that, that might be it. Time might be a flat circle. Maybe those flat earthers out there are onto something, Rich, and we're kind of finally back around to where we belong to be. And, and this could be a nice little bookend on the greatest run in the history of pro sports. Well, that's why the Celtics acquired Kyrie Irving, right, is to make sure that right. flat earth came to be. Uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> this Patriots team – has something they they got something going on i think that the eagles have something going on i thought that the vikings did too but that did not that did not help them reach the super bowl so who knows how much the the it factors actually matter when it comes down to it but yeah this team you have to be happy for how they were assembled for how much criticism the defense got over the first quarter of the season, how well they've rebounded. I mean, this Jaguars team, I know that it, it would come as a surprise. They ranked fifth in the league in points scored, and the Patriots held them to 20. So I mean, giving up 20 to Blake Bortles is kind of not impressive sounding, but the Jaguars as a whole, they were a good offense, and the Patriots did enough to stop them. And so they have stepped up since week five. Week in and week out, apart from that game against the Miami Dolphins without Rob Gronkowski. But, I mean, I'm just so happy for players like Kyle Van Noy, who has been able to step up and been so huge in the wake of the loss of Dante Hightower. Trey Flowers has stepped up in his third season as a pro. Patrick Chung is looking like his old self. Devin McCourty has been the most reliable player in the Patriots secondary, possibly under the entire tenure of Bill Belichick. Lawrence Guy and Malcolm Brown and Ricky Jean-Francois coming off, you know, the waiver wire, coming off of nothing and joining the Patriots for two stints. He has taken away a spot from Alan Branch, Eric Lee coming from nowhere, Adam Butler, an undrafted guy, Marquise Flowers, a, a former special teamer for the Bengals. This is a ragtag group of nobodies, and I know that they have plenty of talent. I know that Stephon Gilmore is a top 10 pick. I know that Malcolm Butler is an all-pro Super Bowl hero. Devin McCourty, a first-round pick. Patrick Chung, pretty much a first-round pick. I know he was in the second, but he was in like the top 40. I mean, you have a lot of technical talent there. Malcolm Brown was a first-round pick, but no one really would rank any of these players, right? How many of them would be considered blue chip players on the, the league hole? But they come together, testament to the players and to Matt Patricia. The, the sum of the parts is just greater than what they are individually. And you, I just love how this happens every single year where the Patriots defense is doubted and then they're just shut down for the final 10 weeks of the year. No, it is. And it, you figure that, and I guess including you and I, Rich, you figure people would learn to just kind of chirp at me when it's all said and done because there's always going to be a way to, to get it done. And while it wasn't always pretty, and I wish I would love to be those teams that, you know, it's 34 to nothing eight minutes into the game, but I just don't think that's how the Patriots are ever going to win games in the playoffs. There's only a very small handful of blowouts. It's funny how the past couple of years – Whatever the late game is, AFC or NFC championship is a blowout, and the early game is a uh, is a, a really close one. No exception this year. The Patriots had one of the all-time classic playoff games, 24-20 Jaguars. The Vikings just completely didn't show up against the Eagles. That game was over by halftime, more or less. Nick Foles looked as good as I've ever seen him look. 
The Vikings defense was number one or number two in almost all categories across the board. They just forgot how to play for some reason. They were blowing coverages. They were miscommunicating. They couldn't get to the passer. They couldn't hold guys up. They couldn't tackle. And the Eagles very convincingly punched their ticket to Minnesota. And it's got to be a massively heartbreaking fashion if you're a Minnesota Vikings fan because not only are you now out of the Super Bowl, you now have to host it with nothing but mass holes and Philadelphia fans, which is just a <laughs> miserable, miserable influx of humanity coming your way, Minnie. I'm very sorry about that. But what are your thoughts on the NFC Championship game? How do you feel the Eagles looked, and can they duplicate that performance in a couple of weeks? I mean, they looked incredible. You know, this is the Eagles team that was just mowing down teams with Carson Wentz at quarterback, but they had Nick Foles instead. And if this Nick Foles shows up in the Super Bowl – then the Eagles could very well run away with a game against the Patriots, especially if the Patriots come out flat in the first quarter like they have a history of doing in the Super Bowl. Remember, Patriots still have zero first-quarter points under Bill Belichick in the Super Bowl, which is ridiculous. But the Eagles, if they come out hot with Nick Foles, they could, you know, Doug Peterson with his trick plays, maybe they run away with it, and then Tom Brady has to be one-dimensional on offense. Who knows what would happen? But if that Nick Foles shows up in the Super Bowl, any is possible but if Nick Foles that we know from 2014 15 and 16 shows up who knows I mean that then <laughs> maybe we could finally get that comfortable Super Bowl victory that has been eluding the Patriots <laughs> you know that's like that's that's a gift horse in the mouth right there that that's very very <laughs> I wish that up there they would finally get a six Super Bowl victory but it was a comfortable one you know I mean that's, that, that's how I feel that's how I feel and if you look at the history of what Nick Foles can do outside of his magical 2013 season, which, you know, give him all the credit in the world under Chip Kelly. He just, he just dominated the league. I think he had 27 touchdowns, three interceptions. He was lights out for the rest of his career. If Nick Foles has a great game, he almost inevitably follows it up with an atrocious one. You know, starting in 2014, week three, he had a passer rating of 114. He completed 66% of his passes, three touchdowns. His next game, passer rating of 42. Didn't complete 50% of his passes, zero touchdowns, two picks. You move on, 2015 season, the opener. He threw for nearly 300 yards on 67% passing against the Seattle Seahawks. Completed for a passer rating of 116. Followed that up against Washington. Passer rating of 76. Only threw for 150 yards. Go forward even further, he's playing the Arizona Cardinals, passer rating of 127, three touchdowns, 67% passer, very next game, four picks, passer rating of 24. So you just see this pattern where he just goes lights out, even this year. You know, they, they played the New York Giants. He was great, four touchdowns, zero interceptions, passer rating of 116. Next game against Oakland, 50% passer, 163 yards, one touchdown, one pick for a passer rating of 59. You know, so I don't think he has the consistency to do that week in and week out. And if one of those off day foals shows up, Patriots could really, really rack up some points. And that would put even more pressure on foals to carry the team. It would remove Jay Ajayi from their offensive game plan as a runner. And then that just really plays into the Patriots' hands because they can just drop back into coverage and wait for foals to make another mistake thing is, can they do that? Do you think the Eagles defense, which is also no joke, the Eagles defensive line had a field day on Sunday against the Minnesota Vikings offensive line. That's been pretty solid overall. They're running the ball well. Case Keelan's been able to game manage as well as he has because of his ability to have time in the pocket. 
pass rush is a question mark. I feel like the left side of the line, Joe Tooney and Nate Solder had pretty good days in Jacksonville. Shaq Mason, my X factor, not so much. Uh, Cam Fleming struggled. I'm very curious to see what Adrian Waddle's status will be for the Sunday's game. David Andrews struggled a bit. Do you think that the Patriots offense, as we're going to break the game down more, we have plenty of time to do that over the coming days and weeks, but on the first initial All-22 review, do you think the Patriots offense matches up well against a Philadelphia defense that gave the Vikings a lot of problems? Yeah, I mean, it's a tough one. It is a very, very tough one because the Eagles do have a great defensive front. They have four pass rushers that can all get to the quarterback. Brandon Graham is one of the top five pass rushers in the entire league. He's complimented well. Uh, Chris Long has been playing out of his mind as of late. Vinny Curry is also a very, very good player. And then Derek Barnett, their first-round pick, he's very, very talented. So they have four guys that they can trot out there that can really get after the quarterback. I would not be shocked to see some NASCAR packages like the Giants gave them in 2007 and 2011. That could give New England some problems. But you look at that rest of their defense, they're not the same type of coverage team that the Jacksonville Jaguars were. And so while the Jaguars also had a great pass rush, they also were able to generate some pressure. The Patriots stonewalled them, but they, they just will be more likely to pick apart the Eagles secondary, pick apart the Eagles linebackers in coverage than they were against the Jaguars, right? There's no Talvin Smith or Miles Jack. Nigel Bradham is a fine linebacker. My, Michael Kendrick is also a good one too. They don't have that athleticism that Telvin Smith has, you know, or Miles Jack. And, I mean, Kendricks is pretty close, but they, that just means that the Patriots running backs will have a lot more available against the Eagles than they had against the Jaguars. And you look in the secondary, there's no Jalen Ramsey to shut anyone down. Ronald Darby is fine, uh, but he's not Jalen Ramsey. There's no A.J. Bouye out there. Malcolm Jenkins is a great strong safety, or I guess he's kind of like a flex player. He moves everywhere. He's in the slot, sometimes plays linebacker, plays strong safety. He will definitely match up against Rob Gronkowski. But if Gronk can win that matchup, Jenkins is really their only blue chip player in their secondary. And so that could be a really strong advantage for the Patriots. And so I, I really do think that the Patriots match up more favorably against this Eagles defense because they should be capable of getting those quick passes out and they should be able to utilize the running backs as receivers in ways that they weren't able to do against Jacksonville, and that should take the edge off of the Eagles' pass rush. Well, since you and I were so completely accurate in our predictions for how they'd play the Jacksonville defense, you'll have to forgive me for not having too much confidence in that, that game, Dan. Game <laughs> break, uh, well, what was my final score prediction, Alec? I have a question. What was my final score prediction? Let's just go to the game tape. You had it uh, 24-14, Patriots. Mm, that was pretty close. Uh, I, you were pretty close. It's funny. I had I was very excited. I had it 31-17, and I was like, but I, I gave it the caveat that the game is going to be way closer than that score indicated. It's going to be like a last-minute kind of pick six or play that makes it happen. So when I thought Blake Bortles was driving down, I'm like, all right, here comes that pick six to make me spot on. But – that didn't happen. But you know what? All that matters is we both picked the Patriots to win. The Patriots won. And because of that, we have a couple more shows to do before the season's over. Yep, absolutely. And so we'll have all content breaking down the Patriots' victory over the Jaguars on patspulpit.com. And we'll start to preview the Philadelphia Eagles once we wrap up this Jaguars game. And I will also be reporting live from Minneapolis as the Patriots Woo! are there for the Super Bowl, which will be great. So make sure you send any questions over Twitter at PP underscore 
Rich underscore Hill. And we'll make sure to address any questions you have, potentially in article or video form. And we'll uh, we'll have all great content just coming at you like we have all season long. We really appreciate your support. And Alec, do you have any final thoughts on the Patriots' victory over the Jaguars before we sign off? I just hope before I die, I have fun again in the Patriots playoffs. I just want to have a fun time <laughs> once. Yeah, I mean, that Titans game was just was fantastic. I'm hoping that the Patriots can beat the Eagles just like they did against the Titans, where I can have my reports done at halftime in the favor of New England. But, yeah, we'll, 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 we'll see how that all plays out. Alec, until next time, you have a good one. See you, bud. I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seems Smart. It Seems Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seem smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain, or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission, or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart.